Who knows what Jay-Z, J.K. Rowling, Bill Gates and Oprah Winfrey all have in common? Okay, I will tell you then. They have all overcome failure in one shape or form to go on to gain success in their respective careers. Welcome to My Perfect Failure. Join us as we delve into the world of our perfect failures. We will interview, explore, and discuss how our perfect failures can lead us to success. Join us and tune in. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of My Perfect Failure. Today, we have another fantastic guest. So today's guest, after two divorces and a business failure, he went from broke at 50 to a multimillionaire after learning the three secrets of the wealthy, despite failing high school maths. He now donates 100% of his profits from his books, online programs and coaching to a charity that trains rescue dogs for wounded soldiers. His award-winning best-selling book, Wealth on Any Income, has been translated into eight like languages even. So a very, very warm welcome to my perfect failure, Rennie Gabriel. How are you, Rennie? Hi, Paul. I'm terrific. Thank you for inviting me on the show. Well, it's, I'm, I'm esteemed to have you. So what was the uh, white light that you, that you sort of transported through? <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, I was referring to your comment before you hit the record yeah, button. Yeah, you know, I'll see you on the other side. Yeah. It sounded like, yeah. oh, we're gonna. It's a past life regression or a future yeah. life. Yeah. Um, it, it, I, I would say um, the pivoting point for me because that's one of the things we were talking about uh, was at age fifty when I looked at my situation after a couple divorces. Mm. And I looked down the road 15 years and I said, either I'm going to be eating uh, tuna or I'm going to be eating cat food. <laughs> I got to get my act together here. Well, that's, um, that's, so when you, when we connected, I was super keen to connect with you and have a discussion with you because it's a fascinating story, which we're going to get into. And we'll talk more so about your TEDx talk, which is brilliant. I think everybody should watch that. And the reason that I was super keen to talk to you, just about, I'm just keen to get into that mindset from how you go from being, you know, mentally and financially and, and everything's going not the way that I'm sure you envisaged <laughs> it going. And then you yeah. have to, then you have to sort of take stock and then slowly, well, I don't know actually slowly, but I guess you sort of transition. So Definitely keen to, um, to to get into that. So, so maybe you can give us some, you know, something from the top, maybe about the divorces and then that fifty marker. Yeah, um, one of the things that you mentioned um, was the three secrets of the wealthy, and we'll yeah. talk about that. Yeah, because um, I didn't have that clearly understood at the time. But after I had created the wealth mm. and I looked back, I could see that is what I did. Yeah. And so it's not a situation of knowing it all. Mm. It's really a situation of working towards something and learning along the way. Okay. Yeah. The divorces, you know, in the U.S. are a setback because, you know, I was in California, which is a, called a community property state where it doesn't matter what you do. Your wife owns half of it if you're married. 
And so at the time of the divorce, you know, I'm didn't have a lot of money to distribute. So I ended up having to refinance a house to pay off an ex-wife. Now I've got higher mortgage payments. Uh, then I get, you know, married again and go through the same thing. And somewhere before that, I had a, a, a business failure. I had an art gallery and, you know, went into debt from that loss and had to dig my way out of that. So when I look back, I saw I struggled with money most of my life. Okay. And like you mentioned, I failed high school math. So it was sort of like I looked at myself as someone who wasn't good at math, but it turns out financial concepts, even though it involves numbers, is not like the math you need to understand in high school. That math like calculus or geometry will not likely play any significant part in your life or your success. And what will is understanding money, understanding how to create it, understanding what wealthy people do, understanding what they do, how they think. And that's what I started copying at age 50. Um, as an example, it's a fabulous book. Um, it's not as great as my book. <laughs> a great book and it influenced me greatly and it was written over a hundred years ago and it's called the richest man in babylon and it's based on a concept that's five thousand years old that was discovered when the city of babylon was excavated around uh, the 1900s and i tried the concept a few times i did things by myself things didn't work out and what i discovered that I say over and over again now is wealth creation. And it doesn't matter if it's wealth creation or business growth or anything else. I say wealth creation is a team sport, not a solo sport. And no business that I've looked at that's been majorly successful was created and run by one person. Now you hear about Steve Jobs who built Apple. But guess what? He couldn't have done it without Steve Wozniak. You hear about Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway. Well, guess what? A fellow named Charlie Munger is half of that company. It takes two people to create a massively successful business. And one of them is a visionary, like Steve Jobs was. And the other is what's called an execution master, which is what Steve Wozniak was. So he would bring Steve Jobs' visions into reality, into practical things you could handle like an Apple computer. Um, so, I mean, if you go, if you drill down into successful mm. businesses or you're talking about Elon Musk or anybody else, you will see that played out. Yeah, that's interest, interesting, actually, because Berkshire, Berkshire Hathaway, I've never heard of Charlie Munger before. That's what I'm getting at. So... So that's obviously a fundamental. Just going back to sort of maths and financials and a, and a difference. So in schools, obviously kids and we're all taught maths, which, you know, got to be taught maths. So do you think there should be something that is more around sort of the financials, the stocks and investments that comes into play at somewhere in the curriculum? So, because that's, you know, that potentially is how people create, well, not potentially, that is how people create wealth. Um, yes and no. Um, 
what is completely lacking in the financial in the uh, educational system, whether you're talking about elementary, secondary, high schools, colleges, um, there is no education around anything to do with money, not how to do an income and expense sheet to know how much money's coming in and what you can spend, not about, you know, how do you build a net worth? Um, how do you determine where your money's going um, to see if you're getting the level of pleasure from it, how to fill out a check. I mean, we hardly people, people are hardly using checking accounts anymore, but not, not even writing out a check was, is taught in school. Mm. It's actually abysmal, but it's these foundations which lead to the ability to make any investments. If you haven't created any savings, you can't make any investments. If you haven't learned the concept, pay yourself first, you can't create the savings to make the investments. And so that's what I'm getting at. The foundations, the basic foundations are missing. Okay. Okay. Loads of um, in- incredible stuff there. So, so the idea of um, pay yourself first, I'm interested in that because so if you've got a business, as an example, you pay yourself first. So you're, you've got your money there and then you look after suppliers, et cetera. And yeah, correct. Yes. Okay. And- and you know what? I'm going to, uh, is it okay to put you on the spot? Yeah. Okay, great. So I'm going to ask you to define the term, pay yourself first. Uh, let me hear what you think it, it would be. Okay. So pay, pay myself first would be me understanding what the nature of the, the deal transaction is. So I've set that aside. Say, for example, that the transaction is a thousand pounds. And my my sort of piece of that is four hundred pounds. Once the the transaction is concluded, I would take my four hundred pounds. That would be banked, based on your your analogy, and then I would have six hundred pounds there, which would be to pay you know the relevant other parties involved in the, in that piece of business. Okay, that that's pretty. That's pretty close to an accurate description. And so let me define it this way. Um, when you get paid and it doesn't matter if it's a thousand pounds, 10,000 pounds or a hundred pounds, you set aside a certain percentage that you're going to keep for the rest of your life. Okay. That's going to set up, that's going to allow you to set up yourself so that at some point in life you can choose to work Mm. instead of have to work. Mm. And you know, in the book, The Richest Man in Babylon, they talk about 10%. Yeah. So your example, if you get a thousand pounds, you set aside a hundred pounds to keep for the rest of your life. Okay. It goes into a savings. When you have enough in savings and you can make some investments, but without that foundational amount that you set aside, that you kept, that's what I'm talking about. Keep paying yourself first. That's money. Okay. For the rest of your life, you don't use that to pay the rent. You don't use it to buy mm-hmm. groceries. You don't use it to make utility payments or buy a car or anything else or or fill it with petrol. Okay. That money okay. never leaves your hands again unless it's going into something that's going to grow and generate income for you. Okay. So I'm learning something, which is great. Thank you. So I'm interested in a mindset. I'm interested in when you had that situation at 50 divorces and uh, the, um, the, the business, what, how did you tweak your mindset? 
Well, did you have people in your corner that you could talk to or was it, or was it reading and sort that, of growing your mind? It, it, well, yeah, it was two things. It was reading, but I, I got to tell you, I, I hope you'll enjoy this. Now I say my book is great. Yeah. Um, it supported thousands of people to transform their financial situations. Mm. It's been translated into eight languages, but you know what? There is no book, including mine, which can do two valuable things that are crucial to success. And the first thing a book cannot do is it cannot interrupt your faulty thinking. Okay. I mean, you'll read about something and it, it may inspire you. And it, it, but if there's faulty thinking there, the book can't say, oh, wait a second, Paul. No, no, no. You're not thinking about that correctly. Hmm. You, you've got that wrong. You're going down the wrong path. The book can't wake you up to that. You might be able to wake yourself up from it, Mm. but the book can't do it. And the second thing a book cannot do is hold you accountable. Paul, if you, if I, from our conversation today, if you said, you know what, Rennie, um, the next time anyone pays me anything, I'm going to set aside 10% in a separate account and I'm going to keep it for the rest of my life. And I'm going to use it to make investments. If you said that to me and then you got paid, I could hold you accountable to it. Hmm. The book can't do that. Yeah. The book can't say, Paul, you said you were going to set aside 10% hmm. the next time you got paid. You didn't do it. Yeah. The book has no ability. So I don't care how great a book is. It can't hold you accountable and it can't interrupt your faulty thinking. That takes another human being. And I was very lucky to have had a business coach when I turned 50. We'd been in communication for four or five years. And he would say, Rennie, you said you were going to do this. Yeah. Did you do that? Yeah. He, he would say, Rennie, we talked about this. Is that, do you still think that's a good idea? And without having that input, without having another human being, I don't know that I would have been able to make the transformation mm. that was necessary. Okay. I had the motivation, but it doesn't mean, you know, I was going to be able to stick to mm. it, but because I had someone I was talking to who would hold me accountable to the things I said I was going to do, all the right results showed up. So that was, that was pivotal. Absolutely. That, that, that's pivotal. Had you ever had a business coach before? Um, no, I'd been in casual conversations mm. with people, but in terms of actually having what I would call a dedicated listener mm. in my corner, yeah, I don't know that it would have happened. Okay, okay. So it's, it's um interesting to to get to that point. So when we have these sort of difficult moments, failures, or setbacks, I find it remarkable how people can transition, and it it's all it's, it almost. I guess I'm going to ask the question, do you, not are you glad that it happened? The reason I ask that because of all the amazing things you're doing now, do you think that you'd be doing the amazing things you now, you're doing now if at 50, this, these things hadn't happened to you? No, no. If, if I didn't have these massive failures, I don't believe I would have been inspired enough to make the kind of changes necessary. Okay. Um, you know, if I look back on my first marriage and how I was in it, um, had she not asked for a divorce, I wouldn't have met my second wife, which mm. was an improvement. 
Mm. And had she not, and she, and had she and I not cheated, I wouldn't have found the most wonderful partner that I have now. Yeah. Um, we've been married 20, well, let's see, married. We've been together 22 years, married 21 years. And it's as wonderful now as it was when we met. Um, that would not have happened mm. had I had that second divorce. Um, had she not been in real estate, uh, I wouldn't have had a partner to invest in real estate yeah. with me. Um, it, it goes on and on and on. Yeah. Without those failures, I wouldn't have had the magical life that I have now. I am just so blessed. I'm able to give 100% of the profits from the work I do online, coaching other people, mm -hmm. from my book sales, from the programs that I have. I wouldn't be able to donate 100% of that to charity had I, had I not created the massive wealth personally, which came out of the relationships, the partnerships, the coaching I'd received. Mm. So it was all those massive failures that led to the huge successes. Yeah. It's amazing stuff, by the way. I'm just, I'm just listening. It's just very easy to listen and absorb all that. So your why, was there a fundamental shift in what your why, well, I guess what your why is now to what it was when all this stuff happens? Uh, uh, well, yeah, one of the things that I created, <clears throat> this is a great hint for your listeners, is I created a list of the attributes, characteristics, whatever you want to call it, attitudes that I would want in a future mate. Okay. And I had a list of 20 of them. And I ended up meeting a woman who had a list of like 40 or 50 <laughs> attributes and characteristics <laughs> she wanted in a mate. And we compared our lists. Mm. The key here is that we were very clear about the future relationships we wanted to have. It wasn't, oh, you know, I want someone who is this tall and is sexy. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, some of that was a part of it, but there were things about attitude, spirituality, uh, financial handling, um, you know, religion. I mean, on and on and on and on that made up the characteristics that we were looking for. And we compared our lists and she met 18 and a half out of the 20 <laughs> items I had listed. So she was a keeper. Oh yeah. So oh, yeah, I have to do some research after this. I'll let you know. I have to find any apps. Uh -huh. <laughs> I might sign up to an app. You never know. <laughs> yeah. But I, though, having a written list of what you want to accomplish in life, writing out your goals, right? Whether it's relationship goals, business goals, financial goals, writing them out allows the universe to see what it is you're committed mm. to and will have things show up mm. you would not have otherwise seen. So just around that, when you wrote your list out, or lists and you have those, is it something that you write out, you've got it there, you put away and you just, it's over there, you know what it, you know what's on it or is it something that you refer to periodically just, just, uh, to, it, just to, just to embed? Yeah. It has more power if you look at it periodically and it still has power. Even if you write it down once, put it in a drawer and forget about it. Okay. Because you've created the action of moving it from your head on into a concrete existence. Okay. Got you. Got you. Okay. So what I wanted to get into, you've uh, come up with three key factors uh, to, 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 to the wealth. Yeah. Yes. So, so definitely want to know that more about that. Well, um, I, I'll tell you an acronym I use 
to remind myself and others of those three keys. And it's uh, the acronym is AFI, which some people say, oh, American Film Institute? <laughs> no, 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 no. A stands for attitude. And what I've realized is wealthy people have a different attitude than ordinary people. And it could be something as simple as, like I asked you about, do you understand the concept, uh, pay yourself first, mm. and you tried to explain it? Mm. Well, the attitude a wealthy person has is when they, now a lot of your listeners probably heard the expression, pay yourself first. Mm. What they've heard is completely irrelevant if they're making a statement like, I've heard that before. Yeah. Or, I know that, or I understand that or that's not new to me. Hmm. Those statements do not lead to any results. Hmm. A wealthy person's attitude is when they hear familiar information, they're going to ask a question or several questions like, hmm, when will I begin that? Or where would I put the money? Or where will the money okay. come from? Or uh, how do I do this? Or who can support me with this? Those questions lead to the actions that produce the results. Okay. So wealthy people have different attitudes. And I wrote a book recently with 32 of those different attitudes. Okay. The second thing, F, is for forms. Now, a lot of people have seen these forms. They've used these forms. They've tried to make up forms for themselves. The wealthy people look at forms like income and expense uh, or net worth statements differently than ordinary people. One of the things I learned from another book was that people will look at their house on a financial statement and say, oh, that's an asset. If it's not producing an income, it's not the kind of asset an, a wealthy person is interested in. Wealthy people are interested in the assets that generate an income so they don't have to work. I mean, a lot of your listeners have heard of Warren Buffett, mm. and one of his expressions is, if you don't learn how to make money while you sleep, you will work the rest of your life. He has assets that generate an income, whether he is awake or whether he is sleeping, whether he is working or whether he is not working. Yeah. And Warren Buffett's one of my favorites. I mean, mm. he's one of the wealthiest people in the world, but he has really practical down to earth advice. And one of them is I run into people who have a fear of creating wealth, like it will corrupt them. Yeah. And one of his, uh, Quotes is of the billionaires I have met. Well, uh, money only brings out the basic traits in them. If they were jerks before they had money, they were simply jerks <laughs> with a billion dollars. Okay. And what that points to is that people who create wealth don't become corrupt. They were corrupt before they created the wealth. And when good people create wealth, they are still good people. Yeah. Okay. So you're not corrupted. Good person. Correct. Good person is a good person, regardless of what their bank balance says. Exactly. Okay. And when their bank balance grows, they're still a good person. Mm. And those are the people who become philanthropic. Yeah. And like your um, TEDx talk, which I will put on the show notes so people can access that because it's, you know, it's a real jewel, but you talk on that TEDx talk about the amount of money that the Gates foundation have donated. I think it's 36 yes. million or something. And, 
Andrew Carnegie, and it, it go, goes on and Building on and on. Libraries all around the world. Yeah. So these people who are actually giving a huge proportion of their wealth back into society to people that they never, ever, ever meet. Exactly. And as an example, I think if I translated the amount of money Andrew Carnegie gave away to build libraries around mm. the world, it would amount to, I think it was $313 billion in today's value. Wow. Wow. And, and one of his quotes was the only purpose in creating wealth is to give it away. Yeah. And what I like about Andrew Carnegie is because, you know, globally around the world, you just walk past, you know, use his libraries and you walk past them. But think about the wealth he's creating because people are going in there to gain knowledge mm-hmm. about it could be anything. Exactly. So, All the people who benefited yeah. from what they read in the libraries yeah. that he created that wouldn't have existed had he not done mm. that. Yeah. So it just goes on and on and on with, 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 with what he's done. So. So your transition was remarkable. So within eight years of having these sort of multiple sort of failure points, you ended up, you became a multi-millionaire. Yes. So for people listening to this today, they're going through difficult moments and they're just wondering where, where can, how do I start? You know, how, how, how can they, you know, what should they do today to sort of start? They start, by, they start by treating themselves like they deserve to own some of the money they earn. Okay. And I built that net worth by paying myself out of what I was earning $500 a month. That's what I was setting aside. Okay. So start setting us. So begin that process and start setting some money aside, whatever they can afford. But is it the thing that you have to do? Because what you said at, earlier which i definitely can relate to so from a personal perspective but sometimes we make statements <laughs> that we're gonna that we're gonna do something and we don't and we and i say yeah. we I say oh, i don't i've definitely been guilty of that you might say to me paul what happened with you know you said that you was gonna set something aside yeah. oh, i'm gonna do it next i'm gonna do it next month i just haven't you know so but it's once you make that commitment do we have to follow through with it and would you say just get it on to how important a business coach was for you that I need to have somebody in their life, you know, that gives them that sense of accountability. Yeah. It could even be informal. And yeah. uh, here's another very valuable conversation for your listeners. There are people that you're going to have in your right hand and people you're going to have in your left hand. Yeah. And what I'm getting at is the people in your right hand are the people you grew up with. It's your parents, mm-hmm. it's your siblings, it's your neighbors. It's the people who know you since you've been a child. And too often, you don't share your dreams or aspirations with the people in your right hand. Okay. Okay. Now, who are the people in your left hand? They may be fellow business owners. They may be entrepreneurs. They may be the people you would aspire to be Mm -hmm. like. And these are the people you share your dreams and aspirations with. These are the people you can make a commitment to who will hold you accountable. Okay. And you need to understand these two different groups of people because too often you'll share something maybe with your mother, your father, your brother, whatever, that you want to, let's say, start a podcast. And they'll say, why would you do that? That sounds so silly. Who, who are you to think you'd anyone would want to listen to you? 
that means these are the wrong people to share your goals with. Okay. These are the wrong people to share your commitments with. These aren't the people who are going to hold you accountable. These are the people who are going to talk you out of mm. what you want to do. So you need to understand there are these two groups of people and who you're sharing your goals and aspirations with. Okay. That's a really good piece of advice. So people can, maybe they, maybe the people now can think about who they're going to share their dream with or, you know, whatever's in their heads with. Okay. That's exactly. Really it doesn't cool. have to be a, a coach that you hire. Mm. It could just be someone else who could be committed to your success and you trade by being committed to their success and you hold them accountable to what they want to do. Yeah. It could be that informal. It doesn't have to be a paid person. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Fantastic. So I definitely want to ask you about your book translated into eight countries. So maybe you can give me and the listeners a little bit of a, a sort of inside take on what, on what we can expect from reading your book. Um, you can expect the first third of the book to deal with the kinds of things that we've been talking about, okay. the attitudes, uh, the goals, um, how you write them down, who you communicate with, mm. what your values are, because if you're building, if you're attempting to build your wealth mm. on values that aren't yours, it's not going to work. So you need to actually identify your values and your goals have to be in alignment with who you are as a human being. So the first third of the book is designed to get at all that. And what were the messages you got from your past, from your parents? How did they handle money? Or where, where? All of that is the first third. Mm. It, without the attitudes that we deal with, everything else in terms of tips and techniques and the latter two thirds is just a waste of print. Okay, which is fantastic. So essentially listen to this podcast and get the book and that can rubber stamp a lot of, it goes into far more detail than we've covered today in terms of what we can do to implement a lot of what's been discussed. Exactly. And since there's no education in school or from parents about how to do income and expense or what to look for in a net worth statement, mm. that's what is in the latter two thirds of the book. Yeah. That's interesting. That separation that we spoke about at the top of this discussion around maths and, and uh, the investments parts, because I think sometimes we lump them together and is you have yeah. the ability to separate, whereas most of us don't have that. So you created that sort of, you know, I guess you had innately, but now you've put it into a book so we can all learn that. Yeah, well, it wasn't innate. I, I researched and I read okay. and I dug up information okay. wherever I could and then I was able to synthesize, synthesize I can't say it. Synthesize uh, put it, it together. Put it together. <laughs> yeah, put it together in my book. Yeah, yeah. Which is, thank you, because you did all the hard work researching it and so forth. We do, we get to read it in a nice packaged form, which goes together. So th thank you for that. So You're we're, welcome. Get, we're, getting, we're getting towards the end now. This has been what a wonderful conversation hopefully we can have many more of these because it's uh definitely really, really incredibly enlight enlightening so just there's three questions one i just want to ask you about the ted talk i mentioned it a couple of times but how did that come about um it came about because i wanted to be able to speak on stage speak to uh, larger numbers of people yeah. and i thought mm, a ted talk would be like a like writing a book, which is a good calling card to get yeah. into businesses. I figured the TED talk would be a good thing to have accomplished to get onto more stages mm. and become a public speaker. And it was completed just 
a few months before the pandemic when everything really? locked down really? and, and it all ended. It's probably, it's needed even more so now that, yeah. you know, the, the talk that you gave is needed anyway, but even more so now, because obviously a lot's happened in that last yeah. 12, 13 months. So yeah. So, so what I've been doing instead are podcasts like this yeah. and that's how I've been getting the message out. So, so I've reaped a little bit of benefit from the, um, from, from the, the pandemic. From, yes. from the, from the, maybe we wouldn't, we wouldn't have met. You would have met. Probably not. That's correct. So, well, wow. so, um, so yeah. So, okay. And how can the listeners get in contact with you or maybe find out more about you? What's the best way for them to do that? Um, it's really easy. My website is wealth on any income, because like I said, I started this process with very little money. So the website's wealth on any income.com. If they hit forward slash TEDx, that'll take them right to the TEDx talk and they can get a roadmap of nine steps that leads from wherever they are to a place where they have complete financial choice. They can choose to work, choose not to work, choose to donate to Mm -hmm. charity, choose to travel, whatever. And that's what I want to lead people to not retirement, not financial freedom, but complete financial choice The choose the (laughs) choice. The ability to choose whatever you want. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Okay. And I'll put all those links in the show notes so people can access that as well. So it's easy. So they can even visit your website or they can pick them up from the show notes, which would make make it super easy for people. And my last question is, it's a reoccurring question. I always ask everybody if they could invite three inspirational people for dinner, who might you invite? Um. That's funny. I I would love to have spent a little bit more time on that, but the three people would be Bill Gates. Okay. uh, Salvador Dali. Okay. And Mahatma Gandhi. Wow. And the, I I think I need to explain why one Bill Gates created massive wealth. Yeah. Mahatma Gandhi created a massive transformation in India from a place of poverty. Mm. I mean, he had nothing physically, I, you know, he didn't have any physical wealth. Um, and then Salvador Dali, who was a, a master at self-promotion and artistic and creative. And I think having those three people mm. at dinner with me would be the most amazing conversation. Can you imagine Mahatma Gandhi speaking to Bill Gates? <laughs> Or Salvador Dali speaking yeah. to Mahatma Gandhi. Yeah. I, it would be the most fabulous conversations. Yeah. I wish I could make that happen. But my dream is for, because I ask everybody this question for one day, one of these dinners to happen. You know, you never know. You never know. We can only, maybe I'll put that down on my list that I, my statement I write. And I'll let you know if it happens. Terrific. Rene, it's been a pleasure, a real pleasure to meet you for the first time and to have this conversation. So thank you for the work that you've done. And, um, you know, it's, it was wonderful. There's so many people for benefiting from that your sort of fifth, you know, that your 50th year when everything sort of became sort of a failure and a challenge. So, um, so thanks for us benefiting from that. So thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to this episode of My Perfect Failure. You can reach me at www.myperfectfailure.com. But please look out for the next episode of My Perfect Failure. Take care for now. Bye.
Thanks for listening to My Perfect Failure podcast. Be sure to visit www.myperfectfailure.com to join the conversation. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Look out for our next episode.